Well, let's all uh, stand together and let's open up in a word of prayer, shall we? Let's all rise and uh, call upon the Lord. Ask Him for blessing right now. Heavenly Father, Lord, we stand together as a church, the body of Christ, in awe of You and in deference to You. Lord, we are only able to rise because of Your good grace toward us. And Father, we, when we look up, we see one who is perfect, who is holy, and yet who is so good and righteous and gracious to us. I pray, Lord, that we as a church would recognize the great privilege that we have by faith in Jesus to be sons and daughters of Almighty God. Lord, thank You for that privilege. We don't take lightly our calling. And I pray, Lord, that we would walk worthy of the calling that we have received. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. My son's birthday is coming up in uh, about a week or so, uh, but his grandparents are going to be out of town, and so they wanted to give him his present early. And I wanted to show you a picture of the present that Bennett received. Here it is. Oh, yes. I know you've always wanted one of these. This is the Lego Black Pearl from Pirates of the Caribbean or Caribbean. Caribbean? Oh, come on. How many say it's Caribbean? How many say it's Caribbean? Uh, I give up. Bennett loves, loves Legos. I mean, he is a die-hard Lego fan at all of five years of age, about to turn six. When I was a kid, I wasn't that into Legos. Back in the 1980s, when I was... Uh, Growing up, the only uh, Lego I knew was Lego My Ego Waffle. How many of you you remember that one? It's pretty good. But let me tell you, Legos are making a comeback. Today, there's not just Lego building sets. Oh, no. Nowadays, they've got Lego fun snacks. You can go down to Carlsbad and go to Legoland Theme Park. Turn on the TV and you'll find kids' shows with animated Legos on them. Pretty crazy. The cool, ki- <laughs> excuse me, the cool kids on the playground these days, they don't play baseball or Barbies. Oh, no. Coolness is now determined by whether or not you know how to Lego. That's right. Legoing has become its own verb. Would you believe it? This can happen. When a company just nails the market on their product, it becomes its own verb. People will ask, are you Legoing tonight? My son frequently asks me this question. I wanted to show you an example of some other companies whose names actually became a verb. Think about it. You've got Lego. Now you've got what else? Xerox. How many of you, two decades ago, 
instead of saying, would you make a copy of that for me, said, would you make a Xerox of that for me? Raise your hand. How many of you still say that? A few of you, okay. Those, those in my generation don't know what Xerox is, but nonetheless. How about the next one? TiVo. We used to say, hey, would you record that show for me? Today, many of us say, would you TiVo that for me? It's become a verb. And, of course, most popular, Google. That's right. Not even ten years ago, when you wanted to learn about something online, you would simply search online. You'd search the Internet. Today, we Google it. We say, can you Google that for me? Someone asks us, hey, how'd you find that? We respond, I Googled it. The company name has become a verb. And why? Because of its popularity and because it has an essential function in everyday life. Xerox, as a company, when it created the first desktop photocopier, had a huge essential function in the lives of those in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. It became its own verb because of its popularity and because it had an essential role in the culture. But there's another word that, biblically speaking, really should be its own verb. It's a word that's used all over the New Testament. And after the death and resurrection of Jesus, it became the most identifiable word to describe those who follow Jesus. The word is church. Ekklesia in Greek. Ekklesia, uh, the, the root of the word, comes from two distinct Greek words. comes from ek, meaning out from, and kaleo, a verb, meaning to call. Put together, it was the called out ones. The ones called out. The ones with a mission. The ones set apart. The ones who were walking in such a way that was distinct. Technically, the Greek word ekklesia is a noun. Just as technically the word church is a noun. But neither Jesus nor Paul nor any other apostle envisioned the church and its people to be a stagnant or idle bunch. Instead, it was to be part, uh, instead to be part of the ecclesia was to be an active participant in the work of God's kingdom. Church was to be a verb. And how to church was to be an essential component to the Christian life. Just like learning how to Lego is for a five-year-old. The title of my message an unorthodox one, no doubt, is how to church. Church here is a verb today. How do we do church? How do we carry out church? How do we exercise ourselves and maneuver in the church? How do we church? Part one of this message is entitled, The Misconceptions, Un Unlearning Misconceptions About Church unlearning misconceptions about church. Today, we're going to take this in two parts. I wanted to do it in one, uh, but we would have been here until one o'clock. Anybody want to stick around until one? Okay, we'll do it in two parts. Uh, today is about unlearning what we've always thought was church. 
Today is about unlearning some of the misconceptions that our culture has and that has been embedded in us as we sit here in the pews today. And then next week, we're going to get a little bit more proactive and and move toward, and, and what does it now mean? Now that we've unlearned the misconceptions, what does it mean to have a biblical conception of doing church? Unlearning misconceptions about church. Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Romans chapter 12. I'm not going to put the Scriptures on the screen today. I want you to see them in the text. And if you don't bring your Bible to church, I would encourage you to do so. Don't rely on PowerPoint to learn God's Word. Bring the Bible. Whether it's on your phone or your iPad, that's fine. But don't text while you're on your phone. I'm watching. But bring your Bibles. Turn to Romans chapter 12 in the New Testament. It's the sixth book of the New Testament. As you're turning there, I want to go over on your outline, very simple outline today, three points, three misconceptions that we have about church. And the first point is this. Go ahead and note it on your outline. The first point is this. We don't go to church. We are the church. We don't go to church. We are the church. I gave an illustration some months ago about a church called Rock Harbor up in Newport, Costa Mesa area. And they made, as I said in that illustration months ago, they made a slight change in their morning routine when they welcomed the church. They used to say, welcome to Rock Harbor. As if the people who had gone around Orange County throughout the rest of the weeks Monday through Saturday, had not been Rock Harbor. And as they came into the building, all of a sudden they became Rock Harbor. Welcome to Rock Harbor Church, they would say. But they made a change. They took out one word, the word to. And they started to present during announcement time to the church. They'd say, welcome Rock Harbor Church. Welcome Rock Harbor. And that slight change was done so very intentionally to remind the people in the pews, in the seats, that we don't go to church, we are the church. The church is not a building. It is the people of God gathered. The people of God assembled. It is wherever God's people, by faith in Jesus Christ, gather together for purposeful assembly. And so when you think about your views of church, uh, we need to start letting go of this idea that church is just Sunday. Nothing could be further from the truth. Church is actually your most fundamental identity, according to Scripture. There's a few spheres of identity that we have, right? We've got our family. We're a son. We're a daughter. We're a husband. We're a wife. We're a grandpa. We're a grandma. We have an identifiable uh, nature within a family. We've got an identifiable nature at work. We're a secretary. We're a manufacturer. We're a boss. We're an assistant. An identifiable role that helps us give us a measure of identity in our workplace. And these identifiable features of our life 
they, they give us guidance and balance for understanding who we are, what our task is, what our role is. The same is true in the church. Every single one of you who have believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are the church. You are a part of the church. You are a son or daughter of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have a distinct role to play in the church. We don't go to church. We are the church. Number two, we are not spectators. We are spiritually gifted participants. We are not spectators. We are spiritually gifted participants. A book that I've been meditating on over the last couple of years, really, is a, a book by Wes Roberts and uh, Marshall. I'm forgetting his last name now. Glenn Marshall. Wes Roberts and Glenn Marshall wrote a book called God's Original Intent for the Church. And in their book, they just go back to the basics of what it meant to be a part of the church. And many times in the book, they identify the modern day problem. What is the modern day misconceptions that we have about church? And they nail it here with this statement about being a spectator. Notice this, in Reclaiming God's Original Intent for the Church by Wes Roberts and Glenn Marshall, the problem is this, sitting side by side, facing the same direction. Church means meeting together for worship, the Sunday production, and taking in the content and delivery of the sermon. The people in the pews or chairs assess church to be good or bad, uplifting or depressing, based on how the preacher performs in the pulpit. Roberts and Marshall here are identifying the problem. Not only for 21st century modern church misconceptions, but I think going back for generations. And it is that so very often we assume that church is just for Sunday. We walk in the door. We sit down in the same spot. Anybody sit in a new seat today? Two of you. We, we, we walk in on Sunday. That's church day. We come in at 10 or 10.05 or 10.10. And then we sit down in the same spot. We face the same direction. We sit back and watch as uh, Doug does his thing on the guitar. Hey, good job, Doug. That was pretty good today. We sit back, we spectate. John gets up there, gives announcements. We just kind of sit back, you know, scrolling on our phone a little bit. Oh, he, he said something funny. <laughs> that was funny. Tom's praying, and while he's praying, our, our, our minds are kind of drifting. You know, what, I, what was on my shopping list? I forgot. And then Pastor Neil gets up, and boy, now we really tune out. Now it's like, oh man, what can I do for the next 40 minutes? We spectate, don't we? Not all of us, I recognize that. Some of us are, are trying to stay engaged. We're trying to be, to, to be energized and, and focused, that we might grow and be edified. But so many of us in so many churches come on Sunday, sit in the same spot, look up and evaluate everything that happens from a spectator viewpoint like watching a ball game where we're not participating at all. We're just watching other people do their thing. 
The Bible speaks very clearly to the fact that this is not to be the case. This is not. Spectator church is not to be the way the church of Jesus Christ operates. In your Bibles, you had opened up to Romans chapter 12. Take a look at verse 4 of Romans chapter 12. Paul writes, here's the solution. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members don't have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Let us use them. Paul here is getting right to the crux of the matter. He says, look, we are many, many members, all different parts, but here it is one body of Christ. We come under one bond, the name of Jesus. We come under one bond of unity that we have believed in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. We come together to open God's Word, to study it, to, to, to grow thereby, to be edified, to be built up. And one of the primary ways in which the church begins to grow and be built up and to be edified is when each and every individual member does its part. Spiritual gifts. We'll speak about it more in this next week. But spiritual gifts is the very way in which God has designed each of us to participate in the church, to make a contribution to the church with our lives, with the very talents that God's Spirit has given to us. A few things about spiritual gifts on your outline. When we exercise our spiritual gifts, first of all, we edify and strengthen others in the church. Turn one book over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. One book over, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, just past Romans. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, Paul indicates very clearly that the exercise of spiritual gifts makes a huge difference in the life of the church. He says in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. The charisma of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit are given to each one who has faith in Jesus Christ. And that each one of you, having that gift, or perhaps two or three gifts, walk through the doors of this body and begin to exercise that gift, bringing edification and strengthening the life of the body. When we exercise our spiritual gifts, we also... Number two, remind one another of our mutual dependence upon one another. We remind one another of our mutual dependence upon one another. In that same chapter, look at verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, Paul writes, where would be the hearing? If the whole body were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as He pleased. We don't all carry the same function. Instead, each of us are mutually dependent upon one another. I'm dependent upon a great many people in this church. 
critically dependent upon them. Without uh, Colleen and Jeannie in the office, there's no way I could get the work done that is on my plate. Without Hank and Jerry taking care of the church grounds day in and day out, they must be here three or four days a week. This church would not be nearly in the shape that it is in. They've taken such good care of us. And there are so many others in this church whom we are dependent upon. We are mutually dependent upon one another. And when the church meets, we look around and we say, hey, we're all in this together. Each one of the working parts needs to be functioning. Not spectating. In function. Thirdly, when we, excuse me, when we exercise our spiritual gifts, we, number three, deepen our love and devotion to one another. We deepen our love and devotion to one another. In that same chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, look at verse uh, 20, uh, 25 in the middle there. But that the members should have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Each one of us playing our different part. And when one member is weak, another one rises up to care for them. When one member is honored, we all rise up in encouragement and joy. This is a family. This is a working body where everyone has a part to play. From the head down to the toe. Next week, we'll, again, we'll speak more about the purpose uh, behind spiritual gifts and behind our, our weekly gatherings and what to do with the gifts as we come together on a Sunday and then what to do with them as we leave here and go out Monday, Tuesday, all the way to Saturday. What to do with those same gifts. But one of the questions that we really need to answer as we walk away from here today is, do I know my spiritual gift? Have I come to identify it? In order to exercise it, we must know what it is or what they are. To identify our spiritual gift, we can do a number of things. We can pray. We can read and study the spiritual gifts. I list here uh, four passages that you might want to write down. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. Probably the four main passages in the New Testament on spiritual gifts. Really good text to study and to consider as you figure out how God has uniquely gifted you in the church. Three, you can ask other Christians for wisdom and for help. Others who know you well might be able to determine your spiritual gift. Ask a pastor or an elder for advice. And fourth, you can take a spiritual gifts assessment survey. I'll, I'll, a word of warning, no assessment is perfect. They're all man-made out there. But identifying your spiritual gift, while not a math equation, it, 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 you can get a better sense of it through a spiritual gift survey. We took one here at Coast about two years ago. We still have the results on file, by the way. And so if you ever uh, have forgot, forgotten or lost your way, call the church office and say, hey, what's my gift again? Uh, for those of you that... It, would like to take another assessment, I'll direct you to 11talents.com. Make sure you spell out 11. 11talents.com, which is a, a real wonderful assessment. And there are others that you can email me for. Build, uh, another one is buildingchurch.net. A couple, uh, these are free assessments. 
be sure to uh, make sure you're taking the free assessment. There are also some other uh, paid elements on those pages. So some reminders here as we consider the misconceptions that we have about church. Number one, we don't go to church. We are the church. Number two, we are not spectators. We are spiritually gifted participants. And number three, we are not consumers. We are co-workers in Christ who make unique contributions to the life and mission of the church. We are not consumers. We are co-workers in Christ who make unique contributions to the life and mission of the church. Again, Roberts and Marshall in their book, Reclaiming God's Original Intent for the Church, um, they speak powerfully to the problem here. And I'm going to paraphrase this first quote. A paraphrase of what they've said in, on page 101 of their book. They write, Too often, churches see themselves as, quote, local religious franchises competing in the religious marketplace for their market share. Parishioners follow suit and begin treating church like they would a shopping experience. They go on to say that people search for a church of their choice and settle in for a while, but they have no deep commitment. Eventually, these same consumers begin to dislike what's going on in their church, so they look around again. Then they repeat the pattern. This isn't authentic Christianity. I just love, and I mean love, Amazon.com. It's a great website. You go to this website, and you, know, you log on to, into your account, and you start the search... And it's amazing the filters that you can put in place on Amazon.com. I mean, you can find any product just about in the world on Amazon. You can buy it new. You can buy it used. You can buy brand name. You can buy generic. I can get the perfect size, the perfect color, and most importantly, I can get the cheapest price. Because I'm cheap. But friends, the church is not Amazon.com. We don't pick churches like we do products on a website. We don't base our church family, our participation in a church, we don't base our, our decision to become an active participant in a church based on, well, how long does the service last? 90 minutes? Ooh, that's a little long for Orange County standards. Well, do they have a Saturday night service? Because, you see, i got sports on Sunday. Well, do I like the music? Or is it too contemporary? Or too old-fashioned? How nice is the sanctuary? Oh, this one's not too bad. But that other one, boy, they had some great stained glass windows. How many programs are there? Are there enough programs for my kids? Because, you see, I don't raise them. The church does. 
how long or, or how funny or how inspirational is the pastor's message? Don't kid yourself. These are precisely ways in which people pick churches. Precisely ways. I see it all the time. I don't, uh, I don't ever wish to uh, dissuade someone from coming to Coast. Never would I dissuade someone from coming to Coast. I, I, when a new, new family comes, I always want to welcome them and say, Hey, welcome to our church family. We're really glad to have you. Um, the truth is, over the, over the course of many years now of being pastor, um, I can see families as they walk in the door. Uh, they're making decisions, and, and as well they should, but they're making decisions on whether or not to come to Coast, and they're basing it off of very unique questions. Because I hear the questions. They ask me the questions. One of the first questions they ask is, you seem a little small. I say, yes, we are small. The sanctuary is a little big for your size, is it not? I say, yes, it is. It's, it's a little, we're a little, uh, we have not as many people in a little bit larger sanctuary. Um, but rarely do, do the questions get much more substantive than that. It's remarkable. Um, the families, though, that instead ask questions like, could you tell me a little bit more about your beliefs? Could you tell me a little bit more about um, the people here? Are they focused on the Great Commission? Could you tell me a little bit more about your missions efforts? Who do you support? What makes your church tick? It's those families that inevitably end up remaining. Because they're looking for those substantive answers. They're not interested in a consumer mentality. They're not interested in shopping church. They're interested in finding a church where God's Word is preached faithfully and where the Great Commission is upheld and given priority. We need to get rid, friends, of our misconceptions of church. We don't go to church. We are the church. We're not spectators. We're spiritually gifted participants. We're not consumers. We're co-workers in Christ who make unique contributions to the life and mission of the church. And we really, at the end of the day, no matter what church we attend, at the end of the day, we really just need to ask one question. Is this church faithful to God's Word? And is it focused on the Great Commission? If yes, I'll worship there. If yes... I'll contribute there. If yes, I'll partner with that church. And I'm excited and happy to do so with other pastors and local churches around us who share those common goals. I'm really excited. I don't know if you saw it, but just down the street, a new church, Mountain View, Pastor Todd, a friend of mine, they're moving to a new location right on the corner of Avery and Marguerite. Todd is a great uh, pastor. He's faithful to God's Word. He's focused on the Great Commission. I'm excited that they're moving near us. I'm excited to potentially partner with Mountain View Church more in the future. We already partnered with them for VBS a couple years ago with Monica. And uh, I'm excited. That's my criteria. 
Are they faithful to the Word? Are they focused on the commission? I'm not looking for slick. I'm not looking for sleek programs. I'm looking for faithfulness, for steadiness, for quality over quantity, for substance over style. I think that's what our Lord's looking for. He often seemed very unimpressed um, by religious expression of His day. The men at uh, Men's Breakfast, we studied uh, uh, Matthew 6 uh, on Friday. And we looked at how Jesus was chastising the Pharisees while they fasted and, and, and emoted their religious expression. They would instead uh, uh, disfigure their face and make it really look like they were fasting. And yet Jesus' words to the disciples and to His followers was to say, look, even when you're fasting, make it look as if you're not. Take care of yourself. Show respect. Show honor to the Lord. Don't just showcase the church. Don't just put on a show. Don't just put on a display. Church is not a demonstration. He says, let your fasting be between you and the Lord. Let your religious expression be between you and the Lord. Let what your church does not be showy, but rather faithful toward an audience of one. I'm not going to expect ever to have a perfect experience in a church because the church, like me, is full of sinners. We're only saved by grace through faith in Jesus. But so long as the church is committed to teaching God's Word, to playing its part in the spread of the Gospel, to the community and the world, then that's a place where I will be. And when I find that my needs aren't being met, other needs, not needs about faithfulness to the Word or faithfulness to the Great Commission, but when I find that there are other elements of the church that are lacking, and there always will be, no matter what church we go to, no matter what church we become a participant in, when I find that a church has a weak spot, I will work to change it. I won't complain or grumble, thus becoming a part of the problem. Instead, what does the Lord expect of us? That we would rise up, walking in the Spirit, having our speech seasoned with salt and grace, building up the church, lifting it up where it is weak, not abandoning it for petty reasons. We're not spectators. We're participants. We're not consumers. We're contributors. God has told us we are the church. And the strength or the weakness of any component of a local church is directly tied to the part of its members, the spiritual effort of its members. We are all responsible for the life and ministry of Coast Bible Church, not just the elders, the staff, and the pastor. Robert Banks writes in his book, Paul's Idea of Community, he says, Paul constantly, constantly reminds the whole church, the whole church community of its obligations and calls upon every member to fulfill them. The expression brethren or brothers and sisters is constantly on his lips. Clearly, all who belong to the community share responsibility for its practical operation. Do you feel that way? Do you feel that way? I know my role in my family as a husband, as a father. Um, I know my role at, at, at work as a pastor, 
as a, as a shepherd. You know your role in your family as a husband, a father, a son, or a daughter. You know your role at work. You know your role with your children. Do you know your role with your church? Do you sense that you have an obligation to be a contributing member? Not speaking merely of giving, but to contribute to the life of the church. Do you sense that? That it's upon you. It's contingent upon you as a part of the body to do your role. Next week we're going to get very practical about that. We're going to answer three questions. We're going to answer the, the, the big question, what's my role as a co-laborer in Coast Bible Church? But we're also going to answer specifically, what is my role particularly on the Sunday morning experience of worship? In that traditional service that every church seems to have, that goes about 90 minutes long, or today a little longer, What's my role? Am I just going to sit there? Or do I have a part to play, even though it seems like I'm only spectating? And lastly, what is my role Monday through Saturday? I'm a part of the church, not just Sunday, but wherever I go. What is my role as I leave here each and every Sunday? But for today, may we leave with the profound sense that the church is not a passive place. Church is a verb. It's a place of action. God's action in the world. And by His Spirit, He's called us to be His agents, His ambassadors, to change the world with the good news of Jesus. All of us have a part to play. The Bible describes the church in many forms. It calls us a house, a building, where there's, there's like a floor, there's, there's lighting, there's water, there's a heater, there's electricity. And without any of those things, the building would cease to be functional. The Bible speaks of the church as a body, a hand, a foot, the chest, the head. And without any part missing, all of a sudden the body's functioning ability is diminished. And finally, the Bible speaks of the church as a bride. You're the bride of Christ. What bride do you know is disinterested and passive toward the one she is betrothed to? You're the bride of Christ. So engage. Take part. Become the participant God wants you to be. Use the gifts and contributions that God has designed you to use. As we finished the Black Pearl uh, in my home the other day, actually, we finished it yesterday morning. And as we finished the Black Pearl, I, I went through literally two booklets of, uh, of manuals and steps with Bennett to finish the Lego Black Pearl. And as we got to the end, literally it was like step 102 of some 800 pieces that Bennett and I had put together. Really Bennett, because he's much better than I. But as we got to step 102, I kid you not, we got to the very end and sure enough, we were missing a piece. We were missing a piece. And I'm telling you, I was so careful you know, to pour those pieces out one by one in each package that it came. I knew there's no way we could have lost this piece. But we were missing a piece. 
And sure enough, the piece that we were missing was a long skinny piece and it affected the sale of the black pearl. And had we, you know, if we didn't have this piece, you would literally see the black pearl, the ship, with one sail missing because of this one piece. And so I turned to my wife and I said, Honey, you've got to help us find this piece. I don't know where it is. I looked all over the, the floor in the, in the, in the uh, kitchen table and I couldn't find it. So she took a sample piece that was like it and walked upstairs. And we're looking everywhere, all over the house for this piece. And my wife takes the sample piece and starts rummaging through some of his older Legos, some of the Legos that he's had in the past. And I don't know if you've ever seen a, a, a collection of Legos that you're rummaging through, but it kind of looks like this. Um, it's a little difficult. You start like, you know, weeding through those things. It's just, it's impossible to see anything. So she does one check, nothing. She, she starts to pray. My wife, she prays about anything and everything. I admire her for it. I probably would not have prayed over this, but she did. And she said, Lord, this would be so devastating to Bennett to get all the way to the end and to miss this last piece. Would you please help me find it? Sure enough, her second time through the Legos upstairs, she found the exact piece that we needed to finish the black pearl. Then it didn't bring it up there. He was with me the whole time. Somebody moved it. I don't know who. But the Lord answered her prayer, our prayer, and we were able to finish the black pearl. Folks, Coast needs you. Every single one of us is a piece in the building of God. And when we're missing a part, just one part, it won't look right. It won't feel right. There will be something stunting the church. But when we find that last piece, and when we finally plug it in to that right spot, all of a sudden, the church starts sailing a little smoother. We start seeing God's blessing upon us a little brighter. Friends, you have a role to play at Coast. You are not spectators. We are not consumers. We are going to be faithful to this book. We're going to be faithful to the Great Commission. And this fall, as we refocus... I want each of you to get ready to play your part. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, oh Lord, it's, it's a simple and yet straightforward truth. The church is the body of Christ. And as the body of Christ, we need every part to play its function. God, I, I know that there are some in this church here at Coast at our local gathering who have done an outstanding job of playing their part. I thank You for that, God. I want to just pray Your blessings upon them, Your encouragement to them. Lift them up. Remind them of just how... Uh, what an encouragement they've been to each of us because of what they've done in Your name. And then there are others, Lord, who are looking to play their part. 
who, who feel a little unsatisfied, who are looking to plug in and, and get involved and not just fill a gap, but to serve in the spirit of their gift. God, I pray that we would unleash those seeking to fulfill their role because they surely have it. I pray, Lord, that You would inspire us this fall to do church well. Church is to be a verb. It's to be a place of spiritual action. And we have so many misconceptions, God. We've got so many wrong views of what it means to walk in these doors. We think it sometimes is just Sunday. And it is not. Lord, help us always to remember that church, our part in the church, our participation in the body of Christ is an essential component to who we are. Not just Sunday, but every day. So let us, God, be the ambassadors of Jesus that You've called us to be, to play our part in the local church. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.